appreciate you guys being here. I hope that you're a part of our reading this year. If you're a member at Hoover, uh, you should have gotten a copy of the book by now, hopefully. And I've been reading it. Uh, the way that's designed is we have different themes for different weeks. And so the first two weeks of our readings have centered around uh, one word, the, the word word, and then the word creation, which we did this past week. And so if you're uh, up to speed and you don't necessarily, if you get behind, this is not like some of our readings where, you know, you feel like you, you got to read everything before in order to get caught up. So if you're not reading so far, just start with week three, you know, that, that'd be fine. So we'll be doing week three, start that this week. I appreciate Donnie's willingness to come up and help me as we have a discussion about this. Uh, we are going to give you an opportunity if anybody wants to participate tonight. If you want to ask a question, uh, Donnie would be glad to answer your questions. If you want to make a comment, then uh, you can make comments. I'm just joking about the questions. I'm not joking about the questions. You can't ask questions. We may or may not have an answer to it, but um, I hope you'll feel free to contribute however you want, and, uh, and I hope this will maybe keep the reading interesting. We'll be changing from week to week, and we'll do this on the first and third. So week one was about the Word, and um, the author was Cecil May, who was a head of the Bible department at Faulkner for a number of years. <clears throat> He's now emeritus, I think, serves in some sort of role at Faulkner, if I, if I remember right. And um, so he wrote about the Word, and he took some different kinds of emphases, or made some different emphases. Uh, certainly he talked about, well, one of the texts was what I preached on this morning, John 12, 44 through 50, where he emphasized the fact that we will be judged according to the Word. He talked about John 1 and Jesus being revealed as a word. I think Donnie's going to say a word about that in a minute. But just the, the creative power of the word, which we'll talk more about tonight, the importance of the word, the importance of language, the importance of the revelation. You know, We are, in churches of Christ, a Bible-believing people. We, we believe it's inspired. We believe it ought to govern what we do and say and think. You know? So it's a pretty important, important thing to us. <clears throat> uh, Donnie, what's your, what was your first reaction to week one? Uh, is mine on? Is this on? Yes? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think my first reaction after reading the first week was, um, I guess, I, I, since it was new, I hadn't processed it yet in terms of uh, kind of what... I, what what it was all about and what I was supposed to be getting out of it. So um, in terms of kind of thinking about what we were going to talk about tonight, um, I had to sit and think for a little while, particularly about the first week before I could really come up with, I think, what I really kind of got out of it. Um, it, it didn't just kind of strike me. And I think that goes into when we do these readings, um, you know, it's, it's important and obviously it's ideal if we can spend a little bit of time you know, doing some contemplation, maybe some meditation, some praying about it, um, as opposed to just reading them. I mean, they're very short. They're very, if you haven't read any yet, I mean, they're, they're very short. Um, you can do them pretty quick. But I think if we are in a situation where we can take some time to really think about what we're reading, I think it, it, it'll benefit us a lot. Um, but, so I was able to do that uh, in getting ready for tonight. Chuck kind of asked me if I'd get up here and say a few things uh, that we could talk about uh, something um, from kind of both weeks. 
And so I, I was able to take some time and meditate on it a little bit and think about it. And one thing I wanted to bring up is that first week was about word. And I want to talk a little bit about how, sorry, let me give you some face. Uh, words are powerful. I think um, if we look around, if we think about uh, our lives, um, we'll recognize that words have a lot of power. Um, you know, we, we see their impact on a daily basis. If we read our scriptures, it talks about how words can be powerful. You know, Jesus, while he was talking about um, that what defiles a man is not what goes in, but what comes out. Um, there's a lot that goes into that, but part of that is the words that come out of our, our, our mouths. In James 3, James talks about how we should be very careful to try to tame the tongue because it can get us in a lot of trouble. So the Bible recognizes the impact and the importance of words. Some of the most powerful words, though, um, I, I kind of put them in tears uh, or hierarchy a, a little bit. <clears throat> some of those powerful words are words that express some kind of idea, okay? So not the asking somebody how the weather is. That, that's just words. I'm going to the grocery store. That's just words. But it would be more something that expresses something beyond ourselves. Uh, it's a little more profound, uh, something like, I love you. You're my friend. Those words have an impact that's well beyond just the words that you say. Um, there's something there that expresses an idea that's way bigger than just the words that are coming out of your mouth. You can probably think of other examples besides that, but in a, lot of, a lot of times, those words that express that idea make us think a certain way, make us act a certain way, make us strive to do certain things. So they, they have even more power than just normal everyday words. I would then argue that there's an even higher tier than words that express an idea, and that would be words that express an ideal. So I-D-E-A-L, ideal. So if you think about, I think an example would be, if you think about the United States of America, we have this proud history, and a lot of that history is based around these words, kind of creeds that we are very familiar with. If, ask you guys to come up with some, it probably wouldn't be very hard. If you think about some of our famous documents or something like that, if I said something like, all men are created equal. Well, that's, a, that's an ideal that this country is very proud of, um, that's important to us as, as Americans. There's a lot of other ones. Um, another example from along the same lines would be if I said the words, I have a dream. Most people in here is going to know what I'm talking about because those words mean something to our um, to us as a people. But that brings us then to Jesus, okay? Um, during our readings, one of the days was about, you know, from John 1, which is one of my favorite sections of Scripture. Um, uh, Bill talked about it on our Wednesday night class uh, the very first week. But Jesus is described there as the Word or the Logos. And in the reading, it defined Logos as an, ex an idea expressed and I like that definition. In the case of Jesus, though, I would make an argument that it's one step above, that Jesus is one step above an idea expressed, but is an ideal expressed. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. You know, Jesus is more than an idea alone. If you think about an ideal, it's generally something that is, the bar is set so high, it's almost a matter of like perfection or the highest good you can think of. 
Um, so when we talk about certain things and we say that this is the ideal, it, it's something that we're always reaching and trying to grab hold of. But if we really think about it, it's so high that we probably can't ever get there. But it's something that we always strive for. When Jesus came to earth, he came to earth as God in human form. The ideal that was, so think about the time before Jesus arrived on the scene, you have God who is the ideal. He is the highest good that could ever, and he's perfect. Well, that ideal was perfectly expressed here on earth. Um, and think about God in the Old Testament. He told the children of Israel, you know, he gave them all these rules about cleanliness because he was perfectly holy. And if they were in his presence, they would be killed, right? So God could not be in the presence of sin. He couldn't be in the presence of people. Well, Jesus changed all that. So an ideal is something that we strive for, but we can't ever reach. So instead, that ideal came to us. So it kind of went in inverse. The ideal came from being out of our reach to perfectly within our reach. So much so, in fact, that the people that he came into contact with actually reached out and touched him. He reached out and touched them. He healed them. He talked to them. They could see him. They could hear him. Um, it's the most unique thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. Um, so this perfect holy uh, being, this perfect ideal, came to interact with the lowly. In the same way, Jesus, he reaches out through his words. So at that time, he reached out through his words. He reaches out to us still through the words that we read about in the New Testament. So he's still reaching out to touch us so the ideal comes and reaches out to grab us so that we don't have to strive and never reach. He's reached out to us. So that's kind of the idea. Yeah, that I have. That's good. I, I like the idea about the Jesus being the perfect expression of God. I think that's a beautiful idea that you know God revealed himself through the law in the Old Testament, you know. And, and people were get, able to get a glimpse into the nature of God through seeing what was right and what was wrong, the, 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 the tablets of stone, you know. <clears throat> but they were never able really to understand who he was. I think Paul talks about in the New Testament that the that, that, that New Covenant is written on, you remember this, on the, on the heart, you know, the human heart. And the reason it's able to do that, the reason we see that is that is that Jesus put flesh on it. He put flesh on God, so to speak, you know? And so the word, perfect expression of the ideal, of the infinite concept of God, which we can't fully grasp, Jesus made him within our grasp, you know? So that's a, that's a neat thing. I was, I was thinking when he was talking about the power of words, you know, and that all men are created equal, or slogans that we have, or whatever, I went, a couple years ago, Donnie and I were talking about this earlier, but I, I went back and read the book 1984. I think I, maybe a couple years ago, I went back and, I read it in high school, but didn't mean anything to me then, really. I was just, in fact, if I read it in high school, I was supposed to read it in high school. <laughs> so reread might not be the right, the right verb there. So I read it a couple years ago, and if you remember anything about that 1984 novel, that book, um, it, it's, it's, at its essence, you know, it's talking about when an entity, a government, an organization, or whatever, gets control of language, 
you know, and how you define words, how words are used, they can control the narrative, they can control thought, you know. As the, and I think Orwell was prescient when he was writing about that. And, and, and of course, in the context of, you know, of communism and all the stuff going on in the world, and that would happen, did happen after that, it's, it's fascinating just to think about the power of words. So, just kind of piggybacking on what Donnie said, the importance of words themselves, how we use our words, what we say. We understand the influence they can have on our spouses, you know, on our kids, to tear down, to destroy self-esteem, or to build up, you know, to give value to. It's, it's pretty neat. God created us, human beings, as verbal creatures for a reason. So then the Word of God Himself came in flesh, but then He revealed Himself through the written words. So it's a neat idea. <clears throat> you got anything else on that before I, we move on? I do. You were talking about just one other thing on the ideal. Uh, I'm going I'm to put a plug in for the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, I taught a class on it this summer. I think it's a great book. Um, if you haven't spent any time in Deuteronomy, I would recommend that you go back and do it, partly because Deuteronomy starts, these are the words. So the very idea we're talking about, that's, those are, that's the first line of Deuteronomy. These are the words. And then it goes on to talk about the nature of God. That's what Deuteronomy is about, and the nature of God and his relationship with these particular people. It set out this ideal that those particular people never lived up to, which is why... It, which was part of what makes Jesus coming so great. It set out this ideal that couldn't be reached, and therefore Jesus comes. Um, so I was just going to make that point about Deuteronomy. Yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good. All right, so let's make a transition between word and creation, and I want to let this be the transition we make to show the connection between the two ideas. <clears throat> in, and this is in the, some of the readings, I think, but... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Spirit was moving over the face of the waters. And God, you remember the next word? And God said. That's one of the exercises. It wasn't one of the days, maybe the first day. First day. Underline every time it says God said. You know, God said, God said, God said. You know, why do you think the Bible describes creation like that? And God said. God did it with the word, the spoken word. It's a creative act. The, the word brings into existence a thought or something that didn't previously exist, or at least it didn't exist in the same form. So this ex nihilo, out of nothing creation, God spoke, it wasn't, and it was. You know, just the power of the word, the creative idea of the word. And, and you, you, can, you kind of trace that through the Bible, this idea of word is creative act. In... In, um, we'll talk about Jesus again. Jesus, the Word, brought about new life. He, he recreates us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Jesus himself is the one who brings the Word. Jesus, the Word, brings about new creation. Just like Genesis 1, you know, he's... He recreates us through the Word, through the Word. And then you, can, you, can take it, you can take it a little bit farther and talk about the Word. You talk about capital W Word, that's Jesus. Lowercase w Word, the Scriptures, are revelation of the Word in words. And, and the words themselves carry creative power. Um, 1 Peter 1.23 says this, 
Listen to this closely. Since you have been born again, right, new life there, born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. What brings about new life? The Word of God, capital W, expressed through the Word of God, lowercase w. The Word of God put in human hearts. We use the analogy of the seed planted in human hearts brings about fresh new life, you know. And so that's the, uh, for me, that was a connection between chapter one, week one, and week two is just, is the word of chapter one brings about creation of, uh, of chapter two. <coughs> when it comes to creation, um, there's lots of, lots of things to talk about when you talk about creation. Uh, I thought the week on creation was, was really good. Um, I really enjoyed uh, kind of the, the way uh, that I think it was Kyle. Uh, went through talking about creation, starting with the creation story, but then moving uh, along the lines that Chuck was just talking about. But in terms of the actual creation story, um, my favorite aspect of that is the, um, which I think was the verse, maybe on the first day, which is um, from Genesis 1, where he says, let us make man in our own image. Um, the, the idea that we are made in the image of God is just so rich uh, and meaningful to me in part because it has so many multiple facets, so many multiple meanings. Um, I think there's lots of different ways you could talk about us being made in the image of God. And one of those ways, um, to me, is the fact that we, what, one thing that sets us as human beings apart from all of God's other creation, all the other created beings, is our ability to, to reason, to think, to make choices in our lives. Um, nobody, no other part of God's creation has that aspect. We, we are self-aware of things around us. We're self-aware that, you know, that God exists. Um, these things that are around us that we can perceive and then make choices based on that, those perceptions is unique to us. And it has, that, that in and of itself has profound meaning. Um, and to me, that's part of being made in God's image. The reason, one of the reasons that has such a profound meaning is it, it plays into a theme that's so important in the New Testament, well, throughout the entire Bible, particularly the New Testament, which is the idea of love. Without the ability to make choices, um, there wouldn't be love, or at least not in the way that we think about love. You know, what would love be without the capability to not love? Um, or, you know, would it be hard for us to follow Christ's instruction to love our neighbor if we didn't have a choice to not love our neighbor? Um, you know, it would just be life. If, if we just, if, if our choice, if we didn't have a choice and we were only programmed to do this certain thing, then that would just be our life, and it wouldn't really, it wouldn't have any impact, it wouldn't have any meaning. Um, what makes... Unfortunately, what makes us special and unique, which is this ability to, to think and make choices, particularly when it comes to love, obedience would be another one, it's kind of one of our greatest strengths, but also it makes us completely unique, but is also the cause of our own undoing. If you go back to um, the story in Genesis, what you find there is Adam and Eve in the garden, um, God has given them a command, obviously, and they choose, after talking to the serpent, to disobey God, to not love God. 
in that situation, which is a situation we all find ourselves in over and over and over again throughout our lives, which is to make a choice that shows a lack of, of love, which is, again, brings us back to Jesus. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever heard Jesus described as the better Adam, um, but one of the unique things about Jesus is he comes down in human form. He has human attributes. He then has the choice to, to make each and every day about obedience and love. Um, Jesus, over and over again, chooses love perfectly, chooses love all the time, and particularly love for the Father. And he, there are some specific examples you can think of with uh, when Jesus is um, being tempted in the wilderness. He chooses love for God and obedience to God. When he's in Gethsemane, in particular, you know, he's praying, uh, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will. Um, so those are just examples of Jesus being the perfect Adam and that he made the right choices. Same ability to choose, but unlike us as the created beings, um, he made the perfect uh, right choice, which reveal, um, anyway, yeah, that, that's what I have. That uh, ability to choose, you know, that, that ability to love, being created as loving beings flows out of the fact that we are created in the image of God. You know, we reflect that attribute of God. <clears throat> and in, uh, I think one of the most important verses of the Bible is found in Genesis 1. Later, a couple months or whenever it is, I'm going to teach on Genesis 1 um, in, the, in the class on Wednesday night. And I'm excited about that because I think... I mean, I think Genesis 1 is just so, found, obviously, it's foundational. It's the first chapter, but so many principles there. One of them being the image of God idea. Uh, he created them male and female. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. That, that, that fact that God created you and me and every human being on the planet in his image. If we truly believe that, it changes how we think about people. You know, it changes how we treat people. There's this, I think I've mentioned it before maybe, but <clears throat> that book called Just Mercy that Brian Stevenson wrote came out a couple years ago. It's now been made into a movie. The book is based on Brian Stevenson's creation of the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery where they defend, he defends people on death row, unjustly put on death row, uh, usually people of color. And... I, I couldn't help but think about this, this image of God idea with that just mercy idea in that, man, how many problems in our culture, conflict of any kind, whether based on race or gender or whatever, how many, how many of the underlying conflicts, uh, how many of the conflicts in our culture would be eliminated if all of us believed in the innate that, that, that every person is created in the image of God and that innate value based on the image of God. You know, you think about that. Just, it's just, it would change so much. Unborn life, you know, preborn life, uh, postborn life, you know, the, the, those who are aged and, and uh, unable to care for themselves, so people who are mentally uh, challenged and cannot take care of themselves. I mean, it changes the way we treat people that, you know, the image of God. Um, Let's um, watch a video now. You go. Yeah, I was going to say there are lots of different aspects of how to look at the image of God. Um, as Chuck and I were talking to get ready for this week, he had pointed out that um, the Bible Project, 
which is some of the videos we watched last year in connection with our Bible reading, they had a video on the image of God, and the, the kind of uh, angle they take on it is a little different than the one I described and the one Chuck was just talking about, but it's also very appropriate and correct. That's what I was saying about it so being so multifaceted in terms of talking about that idea, but we were just going to watch that. It's short. It's like six minutes. I think. Yeah, yeah. So let's do that now. Last six minutes long, and then we'll finish up after that. So if you say it's an ancient Bible time, odds are you read it and there's no story in the Bible. And many of the ancient claims that they were God, and they would even call themselves the image of God, meaning they have a story to tell people what to do or a thing to be made. Yeah, they got to define who and people. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called Selim, often translated as idols. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. That's exactly right. And that was really unique for that time and culture. Which is really, first of all, they don't believe that you can't reduce a creator God down to any one thing in the universe. But there's another thing. People aren't to make images of God has already made images of himself. Where would they be with that? Let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person who meets there is God. He's the one who sets over all creation. He speaks and creation occurs. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone makes things. But then surprisingly, at the pinnacle of all of God's created work, he makes humans. And he calls all of so he gives all humans the authority to develop. Exactly, that's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in this new project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture Just as often these great things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, and they can be good actually to rule. Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to be. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and find good and evil for themselves? use their authority to 
Okay, <clears throat> usually when I listen to a book, I put it on 1.5x, you know. That was on like one, uh, it's like 0.9, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> so, sorry about that. We'll get that uh, figured out. I think it had a cold. Do what? I think it had a cold. Yeah, it may have had a cold. Those are going around here. Um, okay, so I hope you, in spite of the fact that it was a little bit messed up, the audio, uh, I hope you get the gist of that, the idea that, we are to be reflections of God, you know, that part of that image of God is that we, God put us here to subdue and rule the earth, and we don't do a good job of that, usually. Uh, most of the time, we don't do very well with that. But what Jesus came to do, they talked about this, is to show us what God is really like, so that we may learn to be his images, his image in the way that he created us to be. All right, we're going to finish up. You got a closing thought? No, I guess we should open it up in case anybody else did, though. That's right. Thanks, <laughs> you, Thanks Donnie. You said you would. I did say that. <laughs> I appreciate that reminder. You guys have any thoughts, questions, any, anything stimulated by your readings? That's good. Yeah, I appreciate that. I like the image that they put on the screen where the, did you notice the, like the swords and the weapons were gradually turned into uh, images of peace? Yeah. yeah, tools that you can use. To yeah, yeah, that's right. Tools, like there was a medical kit, and I don't remember what the others were, uh, but that was, that was pretty cool. All right, I appreciate so much. You guys uh, keep, keep reading. Hope you'll, if you haven't been doing it, join us, and we'll do this every couple weeks, and hopefully it'll make it a little bit more interesting and uh, we'll be reflective together. So, you know, I hope as we go on, you guys will feel comfortable sending questions. I put something on, on Facebook, and uh, you guys will respond to those in the future. Maybe send me some questions or thoughts. Make it more interesting for everybody. appreciate you helping, Donnie. Uh, no problem. Uh, I did tell Rick, as Wes comes up here, um, I, Rick asked if I could make a brief announcement about Peru. Oh, we yeah. got a, a Peru group going, uh, on, believing on the 28th of February. Um, is there, Rick, was there 12 of us? 12, 12 of us are going, um, and uh, this church has been so supportive in the past. 
And so uh, we've got a box back there for uh, spare eyeglasses, reading glasses. If you have those, you can come front them in the box. And then um, if you want to make any uh, monetary donations, um, uh, that would be great as well uh, for medical supplies, additional glasses uh, that we purchase um, that for the kind of the harder prescriptions and then also for hotels and stuff for the group that's going. So you can uh, make that out to the church um, and give it to Rick or give it to John uh, and they'll, they'll make sure that gets where it needs to go. Thanks, thanks, Donnie. In just a minute, Wes is going to come up and he's going to lead us in Trust and Obey, an invitation song for this evening. If there's anybody here who wants to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, which is a, a public statement that you're identifying with Jesus who died, was buried, and resurrected on your behalf, and you're identifying with him being forgiven of your sins, we invite you to make that confession public tonight. Uh, if you need to come forward and ask for prayers from your church family here, we want to do that as well. Let's stand and sing this song.